We actually found Westside when our kids were little, um, elementary school and toddler, mm -hmm. in 2005. And we were at the old building on Monticello and started there. And um, then as they grew, we moved to this building and began middle school years and elementary school years. And Yeah, and we, were, um, we got involved uh, in the student ministries and worked with the different ages there. And our son graduated in 2020, the year of the pandemic from, from high school. And as we were coming out of that, we God kind of moved us to, a, to another place. And, and so we were attending, been in another church for the last three years and we worked a lot with young adults there. That journey came to an end and we had maintained our relationships at Westside here and began to sp speak to some of our friends, pray about it and felt like God was leading us back here. We weren't sure why. And I really right. think what's cool when we look back is that three years that we were away really did equip us for this next stage, I feel, of yeah. ministry. It's it's an unknown, but it's so exciting how God did equip yeah. us in that time Agreed. away. Yeah, I, couldn't, I couldn't see it then, but I see it now. Yeah. And so that's really exciting to know right. that equipping occurred right. because of our obedience. Jennifer and I really are the benefit of not just my parents and her parents giving, but my grandparents were givers. My, my mom's parents in particular served. Yes, I'm so grateful for the example my mother and father-in-law uh, set that I got to witness as kind of an outsider, but then as as getting married and coming into the family and seeing all that they they do, ultimately without recognition for the kingdom of God is truly our heart. Yes. Is from day one, 30 years yes. ago, to have that heart of generosity to bless others. Right. It's something we've seen modeled by our parents and grandparents, so it's really come down through the generations for us. And our kids are included in that right now. We want our kids. Absolutely. I mean, they're, Absolutely. they're young, you're younger and we want our kids to catch that and understand the how cool it is to be a part of this line of people that have just said, hey, I can't outgive God. So when we returned to Westside and God brought us back here, we, we began to get involved and we're seeing this unshakable stuff and, and we've seen it through some of our friends and everything, but we weren't sure what that was mm -hmm. completely. So we did, we asked Shelly Arnold, she um, explained everything to us and it created excitement in us yes. and being back here at Westside now and, and being able to make our first time commitment to unshakable and become a part of this thing that's so much yes. bigger than us. Even it's for very the exciting. last year. Yeah, even if it's you just know. the last year, uh, it's exciting because we yes. see the things that, that are out there that we're trying to accomplish as a, as a body of Christ. If you're a first-time commitment, just, just trust God to jump in where you can jump in and, and let Him increase the level of comfort that you have. Yes. The level of commitment you want to make, but just start. Just start today and just do it. And, and the benefits that you get, again, peace of mind, joy, um, provision, happiness, a sense of belonging, right? Mm -hmm. A sense yes. of a sense of you're doing something that matters. And we are because this care center will change That's lives, awesome. the communities and all the different neighborhoods that are changing lives. We're being Jesus in our neighborhood. So if you're first time, just just jump in and go. Trust God. Yeah. All right, how are you today?
Yeah, great to be with you, Wes. I love the story. I'm seeing somebody, I'm like, huh, I'm all right. Thank you for the honesty. Hey, I uh, want to thank the Jones family for just offering their story of how they made their, their first commitment. Yeah, thank you for, for that. <laughs> Grateful. Hey, I, I, I love that they just did one thing. They, they showed up. They said, hey, we haven't been around for like th- three years. What is this thing? They just asked. And, um, and I just appreciate that. Like, hey, that's not that, the thing they're doing. That's the thing we want to lock arms and do. And whether you are a West Sider and you've been for a while, but you missed last year's commitment or, or whatever else, or you're new and you're like, hey, what is this? Because this is the journey that we're on and want you to lock arms with us. Last week, we kicked off the series called uh, Rock Solid. And I was driving on the way to church with my family, which is uh, kind of rare. I had been a pastor for many years where I taught just about every Sunday, and I never got to go to church with my family, never got to do the minivan drive to church. Turns out that's kind of a, a wild thing. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so last week... Um, we, you know, it was like that, hey, what series are we, there's some new series, and someone says, oh, it's called Rock Solid, okay, and then our shoot em straight daughter from the back goes, oh, no, this is about money, and, and they're like, oh, it's about like the unshakable, no, it's about money, she says, just calling it straight, I'm like, oh, I guess this is kind of like what gets talked about on the way to church, you know, and uh, so I just want to ask right out of the gate, is this series about money? Yes, it is. <laughs> no, it's not. It's both. And by jumping into the scriptures, uh, I, I think we'll, we'll see what we mean by that. So look with me here, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. The Apostle Paul is making an appeal to a few different churches. He's writing to a church in Corinth, and he's asking them to bring their resource to the church in Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? They are actually nicknamed the poor because many of them have been losing their jobs because they had been proclaiming Christ in their lives. They had been scattered, persecuted, and there was a great famine going on. So there was great physical needs that the Apostle Paul was trying to meet in this moment for them and also spiritual needs as well. So Paul is writing a whole nother church in a whole different place, hundreds, thousand miles away, the church of Corinth, and he's, he's asking them for their resource, but there's more going on beneath the surface. So look with me, verse 7, chapter 8, 2 Corinthians. But since you, Paul writes, excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. Paul is going, look, I'm seeing all this growth, I'm seeing all this fruit, I'm seeing this movement in your life, it's beautiful, but don't let this generosity component of giving lag behind. We wanna be holistic followers of Jesus. He continues on, and he says, I'm not commanding you But I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. How how about this for the ultimate comparison? Let's just look at Jesus. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. That's kind of like the ultimate mic drop right there. It's like, is Jesus generous? Okay. I guess we should all get on board. And here is my judgment, Paul says, verse 10 about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, and this is what we're really gonna key in on. I think this is fascinating. Last year, you were the first, not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. You ever notice there's a difference between giving and the desire to give? 
<laughs> yes, there is. Now finish the work, he says, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. And then he says, according to your means. There is a tension between the desire and the finishing. Paul's just naming this. And then in between, we, we give, right? We give resources, we give time, we give all sorts of things. And there is a tension. Some of us get really excited about giving, and then we maybe start, or maybe we didn't even start, but we certainly don't finish, and that's a challenge. Other of us, we go, well, we give, but we weren't happy about it. Do I speaketh the trutheth at all in terms of what we're feeling, right? Absolutely. Now, what, what's Paul doing? And, and what would it have been like for the people in Corinth to have received this letter? I bet all sorts of things were raging within them. And I bet many of them, like, well, we kind of had desire, but I don't know. We had other priorities. We had other things going on in our lives. What is Paul really trying to accomplish here? Well, well at the deepest level, here's what's happening. Paul is feeling called to the non-Jewish world. That's called Gentiles. And, and he's speaking predominantly to that group in the church of Corinth, Macedonia, and the other places where he's asking other churches to collect their resources and bring them to the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem is predominantly Jewish. So yes, while Paul is trying to meet physical needs, people are suffering, people have lost jobs, people uh, need food on the table, he's actually going after something far deeper, which is what? To drive a radical stake in the ground to say the whole world is at enmity with one another. And the Jews and the Gentiles, by the way, does this sound familiar? Tragically so. Yes, it does. And Paul is saying, if the Gentile world, who were at enmity with the Jews, who have always been considered the scumbags of the earth by even the, the, the Jewish mindset, if they would give of their resource radically, even according to their means and in some ways beyond their means, do you know what a statement that would make? A radical commitment of unity in this new form thing called the people of Jesus. I think that's what Paul is going after collectively at the highest kind of meta level and then individually what it's going to do in them. And that's why we love what's going on with Unshakable. I mean, you look here, by the way, you look through, how many of you got your, your little, you know, incredible, it's not little, it's like impressively large and thick, and the paper is incredible. I mean, it's like this whole unshakable. How many of you uh, didn't receive this, either last week or, or this week, and, and you don't really know about unshakable? Anybody show of hands? Anybody? Nobody wants to show hands, but um, I want to throw this to you, so go, go ahead. Anybody? Yes, sir. Yes. Oh. <laughs> that, that hits you. Anybody else want to be hit in the head? Because I got a second one. Yes, over there. I'm going to work on my Frisbee toss. All right, uh, but if you do, we have folks that would love to, to come to you so you don't have to. But if you want to do like Jeff and Jennifer Jones and you're like, hey, what is this thing? Because I want to lock arms. There's so much to lock arms around that, yes, does require resource. But when you talk about the seven area com communities that are being launched, that's the church bringing physical, literal expression into our neighborhoods. Do you think that's what the church should be about? Yes. 
And do you think it should be about more than just actually a church meeting together? No, it's like who in those neighborhoods behind those doors need to see the love and the joy and the healing in their neighborhoods and the, for the amount of church plants that are having hundreds of churches that, and house churches that are being planted around the world and for the foster and the adoption uh, communities and families that need to know that we have their back and they are not forgotten. And for the care and counseling center that we are building just last Sunday night, we had a prayer and dedication night. It was incredible. We met in here, had an incredible time with Austin French, then we went out to the south southeast corner and um, here's an aerial shot of it at night. We all had our flashlights, and we just prayed over this land. And we prayed um, kind of uh, imaginatively for when these doors open, who are the people, who are the lives? What are the struggles? What are the hurts? What are the addictions, spiritual and physical, that are going to walk through these doors? And I sat there thinking about two people personally. One, I had been in a conversation with someone earlier this week, and... Uh, or that week, and this friend of mine needs help. He needs good therapy. And I thought about Westside, but then I thought, oh, but uh, he's not a a member of Westside. So then, then I thought, what? What just went through my head? I thought, oh, he doesn't go to Westside, so this wouldn't be a place for him. Does something about that sound so contrary to the gospel of Jesus to you? Do you know how many people are trying to, to find care and can't find it? Do you know how many people are on a wait list just to get into someone's door? Do you know how many people are in desperate need to, to sit across from somebody that can expertly help them navigate the mental instability or the challenges or the unwellness of their mind? It's at pandemic levels. And there's another person that we as a family are in relationship with It's crossing state lines to find the right treatment place and center and all of these things and experiencing all the gaps within the care structure within government and all the the different ways, the hospitals and everything else. And I sat there with my flashlight out there last Sunday night thinking this might not just be for our city. There might be people so hungry for hope and healing that they would travel hours cross state lines just to come through these doors as they open. Now you tell me, is this just about money? Or is it about so much more? And we step back and we go, well, do I have the desire to give? Am I giving? What does it look like to finish the gift? And here's the thing. It is never a linear line between a desire to give and actually giving and finishing and completing the task, as as Paul would say. You know what it looks like? It doesn't look like from here to here. It looks like this. Start out here. Yes, I'm going to do this. And then you go way down up here. This is what we just call the reality curve. 
And it, and it works not just in terms of giving. It works on any grand adventure that, that you're wanting to set out. Maybe it's a start, startup. Maybe, maybe you're an entrepreneur. Maybe it's a new vision that you're chasing. Maybe you're an author and you want to bring something and publish it into the world. Maybe you're an inventor. Maybe it's just some new project that you're going to do. Here's the unshakable journey that we're on, and it looks like this. This is the emotional journey. And there's a few stops along the way. The first stop is from, yes, this is going to be awesome, let's go, to quickly, uninformed, I don't have a lot of room, so it's going to be messy, uninformed optimism. What does this mean? This means you have no idea how hard it's going to be. And you think it's going to be great. But you're already sliding down the reality curve. Then you come to informed What's the opposite of optimism? Pessimism. Oh, I didn't know it was going to be like this. I didn't know that we'd lose our job. I didn't know that the market would go down. I didn't know that we'd have to care for somebody that we brought into our home. I didn't know the college tuition was so high. All the things. But now, we're a bit more informed about what it's going to take and require to get here. And that leads to what's simply called checkout. Was this right? Did we overcommit? Should we be doing this? Are there other, is this responsible? All these things. Now, Seth Godin would call this the dip, if you're a Seth Godin fan, and he would also say, there are some things in life where the quicker you can figure out this wasn't the right thing, you know, you cut your losses. And yet, there are those things that is right and that we push through and we're faithful and we come up kind of down through here and God is forming and God is maturating and God is developing things in us. And if we're faithful there, we move to hopeful realism. Okay, I'm starting to see. I'm not seeing it all, but I have some hopeful realism. I have a, I, I, I'm, I'm seeing some things. There's some data here. It's starting to show and then it leads up to I'm just going to write momentous, big M, gains. Okay, now we're starting to get some traction. We got some momentum, and it leads up here to ultimately finishing, but it's always going to be different than you think when you start it. The, the vision is right here. The actual reality is here, and it never looks exactly as you think, thank goodness. Because God is doing something in a people. God is bringing things. There are surprises and beauty and setbacks along the way. And I just want to ask you, as it relates to the unshakable journey, you can apply this to other things that you might be doing in your professional life or what it might, whatever it might be. But as it relates to unshakable, where are you? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or anything, but I just want you to go, like, where am I? Am I, am I in a place of discouragement? I thought it was going to be one thing, and now I'm starting to, or am I really starting to ask questions? And if you are here, I, by the way, the whole, what I love about this, like, this is what it feels like. This is normative for the journey of any grand adventure of which Unshakable is and of which your part is, is as well. This is a grand adventure. We don't exactly know the outcome. But we're committed to the journey, and this is what it feels like, and these are the stops of, along the way, and there's no shame in being at any one of these places. If you are here, I say, just do what Jeff and Jennifer Jones, they were checking in, right? But you might be going, I, I have some questions. Ask. 
Or you might be here and go, well, I thought it was going to be here. Like, lean in. And it's okay to be at any one of these places. Now I want to just say three things about this graph, about this passage. And the first is, if left to my own devices, uh, I'm pretty sure I don't have a desire to give anything ever. Like, in my own, like, natural orientation, I am not a generous man in a lot of things. Um, like, when Paul writes in just chapter 9 here, you, you can look at it with me here, he talks about being a cheerful giver. Here's what he says. Um, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I hate that verse. I mean, I know it's the word of God, and I don't like it. Why? Because have you ever been told you will clean your room and you will like it? You will eat your vegetables and you will like it? That's what this feels like. You will give and you will like it. And I go, I don't know that I do like it. And I can fake it. And, and, and this is me being cheerful right now. You know that feeling? Right? It's a little bit akin to this last summer. I was out in Long Beach, California on a business trip. My parents... They are 85 and 82 years of age. They live in Long Beach, California. And we went to In-N-Out Burger. Any In-N-Out Burger fans here? All right. You've been wondering this whole time. You haven't been listening to a thing I've been saying. Wondering about the bag. Yeah, so we go to In-N-Out. Here's a picture of Buddy and Papa. That's the grandparent names. And and we go. This is actually right on the way out. We're on the way to the airport and flying out. And they say, oh, well, we're not hungry, but we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll make a stop for you. It's not my first stop of a trip, I'll tell you. And I got my typical. I got the three-by-three. Three. It's not the double-double. It's the triple-triple. I got two orders of fries, and then I got, a, um, I got a chocolate shake. That's the standard. And my parents said, well, we'll get it for you. We're not hungry. We sit down, and my unhungry parents <laughs> suddenly begin to hint that they're hungry. To which I reply, well, would you like a fry? (laughs) Did you notice the the singularity of the offer, Uh, a fry? And they say, sure. And so they, they, with their little pincher, they grab one. (laughs) And then they grab with three. And then pretty soon, it's hand over fist, and I can see the, you know, the writing at the bottom of the tray uh, that my, 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 my fry count is just going down. Now, on the outside, I'm trying to appear like the grateful son. On the inside, I am a bitter 50-year-old man. <laughs> I mean, to my mother who bore me, to my dad who trained me, I am counting every single fry. Something has absolutely crutched inside, clinched inside of me. Now you step back, and I don't know when I step back. Maybe when it was time to write this sermon, I stepped back and I thought, this is kind of ridiculous because um, those weren't really my fries. First of all, I did not put them on the tray. I did not salt them. I did not risk limb and life to put them in the sunflower oil. I did not slice them, which they do in the restaurant. I did not drive the truck of potatoes there. I'm not an Idaho farmer. I am none of those things. I have nothing really to do with potatoes. Here's a sack of them, right? If you think about potatoes, how many of you like potatoes? They're phenomenal, right? 
I mean, this is an incredible invention. What can you do with a potato? Tell me. Fries. What else? Anything, right, but uh, work with me here. What else? Casseroles. Potato launcher. Right on. Right. Chips. Potato soup. Now it's the season. I mean, there's so much that you can do with this. And I started thinking, yeah, well, um, did you know there's 5,000 different varieties of potatoes? Did you know that the potato was the first vegetable um, made in space? Did you know that? Do you know it can uh, survive just about any climate? Began in the Andes Mountains in Central America. I mean, the potato is amazing. And you trace it all back to the dirt, to the fertile dark in which in uh, one square inch of soil, there is over a billion microorganisms. And something flowers from this above ground. And down below, you dig your hands into the dirt and you pull it out. And there is such amazing awesomeness in a potato. And it reminds me that all of life can be traced back to the dirt of the earth and the breath of life. That's what's said in the very beginning from the most generous giver of all the one out of his own heart and generosity, as it's so beautifully and poetically said. Look at this with me. Genesis chapter two says this. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, from the dirt, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And it reminds me, this kind of like potato prayer, and all the things that I'm just holding on to, my time, my talent, my, my stuff, my finances, my bank account, all these kinds of things that I think are mine, that I'm clutching onto so tightly, trace it back, do the infinite regress, and you'll find that that too is traced back to the dirt of the earth into the breath of life, namely the creator who's the most generous giver of all, yes? Yes? And when we release and say, not mine, and God, you've given it to me, and we look at all of the things, will things happen in us? In fact, I would just put it this way, we become most like God when we give. See, we're gonna have to decide is God stingy or is he the most ridiculously generous giver ever? And Paul answers that question, doesn't he? He answers that question in verse 9. For you know the grace, grace means gift, of our Lord Jesus that though he was rich, he had everything, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. As we go on this journey, we're not alone. As we go on this journey, God's with us, he's in us, he's ahead of us, and he's maturating something in you and I deep beneath the fertile soil. So that when we come up, the, the, the arrow doesn't start here, stop here, it goes up there. And where's the growth? It's all right there in you, in me, and in us as a people. As we are faithful on this journey, you and I change. Yes, for all the impact. Yes, for all the lives. Yes, for all the hope and healing here, around the world, in our neighborhoods. Yes, yes, and yes. And us being made more into his image. When we come to the communion table, what a beautiful reminder. It's all his. And he's given it to us. In fact, let's just pause for a moment Hopefully you were given the elements here of communion.
from the one who created all things from the dirt of the ground and from the breath of life, physical and spiritual coming together, knowing that sin had wreaked havoc in the world. The Son of God came, namely Jesus. And he said, it's going to be my body broken for you. And let's just pause right now and let's remember his life for ours. And in the same way, he took one of the cups of wine and he said, this is my blood, my, my, my lifeblood that will be poured out for you in the sins of the world forming a new way of relationship with one another. And let's drink now together. Have you ever thought about the communion table being the greatest expression of a generous God? I hope we do. I hope we see the, the generous way of God in all of his ways and that as you and I are simply faithful along the journey, and that's the third thing I just want to say, is the journey from desire to finishing is not about greatness, it's not about perfection, it's just simply about faithfulness. The call of faithfulness, I think, is a lost art in this world. Everybody wants to be awesome. The older I get, I just want to be faithful. Faithful with... Um, whatever potatoes he puts in my hand. And I want to offer you just a, a picture that I was reminded of as I was thinking about my, my stingy ways here. My friend Joe went to China in 2007, and the guide there led him into the absolute most remote part um, in the hills of, the, of this area to a, a village. And I wanted to show you, give a sense of the remoteness. Here's a picture of where they were headed. Um, that big white building is a, is a missionary place, but if you go into the actual village of Yezi, you'll find shacks, you'll find mud for, you know, patching. You'll find that their annual income on average was $200, a place of just crazy need and poverty. And actually, just prior to that, it had been $13. So this is a place of absolute abject poverty. And my friend Joe and his friends, Tracy and the others, they go into this village and they meet a man named Mr. Nee. I believe this is a picture of Mr. Nee. And Mr. Nee comes up to them with a sack of potatoes. And he gestures to them. And with the translator, it says, will you take the sack with you to Kunming, 11 and a half hours away? And they said, well, sure, why? Well, because the pastor in Kunming had sent us shoes and clothing. And this is all that we have, but we just want to say thank you. And I want you to just think for a moment, when you live on $200 a day, how many things could you do with the potatoes that you think are yours? This was everything, maybe even more. 
And the sack was even bigger. And so Joe and his friends, they took this gift so much like what the Macedonians, the church in Macedonia, what Paul is asking of Corinth and what he's asking of you and what he's asking of me. Am I and are you this person or this person? I'm telling you, this is no way to live. This is a dead end life. This leads to suffocation and isolation. This, in the words of Paul, leads to the life that is truly life. It is a venture and it leads to dark places and big dips. And God just know he is doing things underground in you. And I think some of us just need a reminder today. Am I going to be a fry clincher? Or am I going to be a potato giver? How many of you just want a reminder? Like, all right, I, I'm going to put this on my desk. Um, I, I'm, I want to take this with me. I'm going to take this to work, and people are going to ask me about this. I'm going to, I don't know, but I need to practice the potato prayer. Whatever it is that I'm clutching, I'm going to trace it back and be reminded this goes back to the dirt of the earth and to the breath of life. Who is in? Who needs one? Okay. I want to throw things. Please catch. Please catch. Here you go. Here you go. Who else is in? Oh, we're going deep. Oh, we're going deep. Come on. Come on. You can still use it as metaphor, but I wouldn't need it. All right. Here we go. Going short. Going short. In fact, um, Australia, would you come up and would you, in the spirit of Mr. Knee, would you come up and just start distributing this, right? And then when you grab it, just like do that so it makes me look strong. That'd be good. Thank you. That'd be great. And um, who else? Who else just needs a potato? Just a reminder. All that I have, my time, my talent. Yeah. And while the band is singing, Estrella is going to be walking around distributing that reminder that he is good. He is generous. And the best life is when we are too. If you're able, would you stand with us and sing?